reading today, there are two, one read now and one read in a few moments. The first is John chapter 20, beginning at verse 1 and reading through verse 23. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, It is withheld. The word of the Lord. So, Easter Sunday. Today, Christians all over the world celebrate the unthinkable, that a dead man came back to life to live and to never die again. The resurrection is the keystone of Christianity. An arch has two columns made of stone or brick. And they bend toward each other. 
and to keep the sides from collapsing onto each other, a keystone is placed on the top. And the keystone turns the two columns into an arch that is capable of supporting a considerable weight. Well, the resurrection is our keystone. On one side of the arch is the history from creation to sin to God's relationship to Israel and the world all the way through Jesus' crucifixion and burial. On the other side is Christ's ascension, exaltations, reign, and all of eternity. On that side is where we Christians live as followers of Jesus, whom we worship and love and surrender our lives to. It is he who leads us to God and through whom we may interact with God and have the confident expectation that God has taken us to himself to live forever in unspeakable joy. So history, life, and eternity. And in between there rests the resurrection, holding both sides in place so as to form an arch by which both of these are made solid. Without the resurrection, Christianity collapses. By resurrection, of course, we mean the historical, actual, and physical reversal of death in the body of Jesus of Nazareth. We're not talking about some form of spiritual resurrection. Spiritual resurrection is not resurrection. We're talking about a heart beating again. We're talking about the process of decomposition that begins on death, halting and reversing. John Updike has it exactly right when he writes this. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. And the Bible, frankly, admits the same thing. The Apostle Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope for this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. It's that simple. If we don't have this Sunday, we don't have any Sundays. Was it really resurrection? Jesus was certainly dead. Roman soldiers knew how to kill. So what then? There was the empty tomb. Where was Jesus' body? Never produced. Were the disciples and company delusional? Well, the complete transformation of a cowardly, slow-to-believe community to the courageous declarers of Jesus in the very city where his executioners had done their work just weeks before is no description of delusion. Only their unwavering conviction that Jesus was alive could explain so radical a transformation. Were the Gospels manufactured later in the first or second century to bolster a burgeoning religion? Well, again, the portrayal of women as the first witnesses to the resurrection would never have made it. The portrayal of the apostles as cowardly and consistently unable to grasp what Jesus had told them would never have made it. You'd write a much different gospel than that if you were making it up. Was the resurrection a hoax concocted by the disciples? If it was, they all went to their deaths for something that they knew was not true. Could they have got Jesus' resurrection wrong? 
After the resurrection, Jesus spent considerable time over six weeks with his followers. They had no doubt. So Jesus certainly returned from death. So what then? I mean, it's a cool event. It's one of our celebration days as Christmas, uh, as Christians, along with Christmas and Good Friday and Ascension Day and Pentecost and Jesus' return, which we look forward to. So what makes the resurrection stand out? Celebrating Easter seems a little bit like celebrating somebody else's wedding. We're impressed with the achievement. We enjoy the celebration, but ultimately it doesn't have much to do with us. We go home at the end of the day and say, great party, great service, but tomorrow I go to work. Try to raise the kids. The car still breaks down tomorrow. I watch the playoffs. I pay my taxes. So really, at the end of the day, why does Jesus' resurrection matter? It matters because it demonstrates who Jesus is. It matters because it makes Christianity more than just belief. It matters because it gives us confident hope concerning death and what comes after. And it matters because for all of those reasons, for you to live Christianly means something. The resurrection demonstrates who Jesus is. Is he a spiritual teacher, as Gandhi and others understood him to be? Is he Islam's prophet, along with Abraham and Moses? Is he the created being of Jehovah's Witnesses? Is he Mormonism's product of sexual intercourse between uh, a physical but glorified Elohim and Mary? Who is Jesus? Well, there's this man, Jesus, carpenter from Nazareth, who teaches about the kingdom of God. People flock to hear him teach because he teaches with authority. But in his teaching, he begins to make bold and startling claims concerning his unique and eternal relationship to God. His enemies understood him to be claiming his divinity. Jesus said that God had placed all judgment, the eternal judgment of angels and all of humanity, into his hands. He claimed the authority to forgive sins. He accepted the worship of his disciples and others. Jesus demonstrated some supernatural ability when he heals people, raises others from death, commands demons to flee, causes storms to be stilled. But this didn't prove his claims. Old Testament prophets like Elijah and Elisha did miracles of that caliber, but they had not claimed divinity. So if Jesus was a true prophet of God, but not divine, he would never have claimed to be divine. But if he did claim divinity, but was not a true prophet of God, that makes him delusional or deceitful, nor would he have had God's power to perform miracles. But he did claim divinity, and he did have power. So people weren't quite sure what to make of him. But in either case, if Jesus had died and stayed dead, Jesus would have proved a fraud, neither prophet nor divine. To paraphrase one theologian, without the resurrection, all we have is the late Jesus. He can only be a teacher and example, but not even that. 
If there was no resurrection, he was too mistaken about himself to be a good teacher and clothed himself with too much divine authority to be an example. But the resurrection validates and vindicates all that Jesus said and did. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says in no uncertain terms that it's by his resurrection from the dead that Jesus Christ is declared with power to be the Son of God. If he is not the Son of God, then everything he taught about God and about himself collapses. He cannot be trusted even as a spiritual teacher if he can't even get his own identity right. The resurrection demonstrates conclusively who Jesus is. Second then, if that is so, it means that Christianity is not purely a matter of internal belief. It is grounded in a historical event. Again, unlike Mormonism, whose history is unverifiable, whose sacred writing comes to us from one man, Unlike Islam's, whose writings and origin depend on the testimony of one man. Unlike Hinduism, whose sacred writings come to us from an ancient and unverifiable past. Unlike Buddhism, which is strictly a body of teaching, Christianity finds its origin in a historical event testified to by many witnesses whose testimony has been faithfully handed down for centuries. So the resurrection means that I don't have to rely on my heart. We sometimes think of Christianity as having to move from our heads to our hearts. But sometimes it has to move from our hearts to the head. I can't just count on an inner conviction that may come and go. The resurrection gives me something outside of myself to anchor to. A trustworthy historical reality, something that does not change with my feelings. And that anchor is an anchor not just for living Monday through Sunday, but for the future, even the future that lies on the other side of death. The resurrection matters because it gives confidence for hope. In 2005, you probably remember this, four Mounties were murdered while on duty near Mayerthorpe, Alberta. And thousands gathered at the funeral of Peter Schiemann, Brock Myro, Leo Johnston, and Anthony Gordon, and thousands more watched the service on television. In that service, Don Schiemann gave a eulogy, eulogy for his son Peter, and in that eulogy he said this, quote, So what do we say in a three-minute eulogy? The pain of our loss is beyond anything we could ever have imagined. Over and over again, people tell us that they could never begin to understand the depth of our loss. That is true. But we know of one who does understand and feel our pain because he lost his son too. It happened when God gave the sinless life of his son at the cross to redeem sinful lives and to purchase forgiveness for us all. Three days later, he raised his son from dead and conquered death. It is through this event that we have hope. This hope, that's what's sustaining us. It's not an idle wish, but a certainty based on the promise of God. And this hope fills us with eager anticipation and a longing for the time when we shall be forever with the Lord. It is this hope that will ease the pain of our loss. End quote. 
This is the hope expressed in the Bible when it says that Christ tasted death for everyone, but also then that death is not the final word. Christ has defeated and then emerged from death. Scripture, again, as we shared in his death, so shall we also share in his resurrection. The Bible speaks of life for those who, even though they die, will never die. That those who believe in Jesus will not perish, but have eternal life. And without this promise, then why do things matter? Why seek forgiveness? Most of us could live with our sins with moderately, at least, unmanageable gift, guilt, if any guilt at all. We can do that for a few decades. And living according to God's wisdom and making better choices accordingly will make our lives less painful. That's true. What does the resurrection have to do with that? And what about Christians who suffer because they're, because they're Christians, whether dying in India or being suddenly mocked at school? Why bother? Who needs it? But the hope of eternity puts these things in a whole different context that says this life is not the only life you get, but this life determines the next one. If so, then the resurrection matters because it's the resurrection that anchors us to Jesus, who himself is the gravitational center of this history and eternity and where they meet. If the physical resurrection of Jesus really happened, then Jesus really is God's divine son, which means that there is a historically grounded hope for eternity. And if that is so, then Christianity is true. It means that Jesus lays divine claim to our loyalty and our worship and our service. It means that we belong to him. It means that our lives are to be centered on Christ, not simply including him in some way. It means that if you are not a Christian, you ignore Christ at your peril. Jesus had some things to say about God and us, about sin and eternity, about what our lives should be and what the consequences of our lives will be. If the resurrection is true and Jesus is the Son of God, surely he must be taken seriously when he talks about things like that. As a Christian, then, the resurrection means that your faith is not futile. Your faith does not just work for you. It's like saying, well, breathing may work for you. It means what you believe is true. It means you're not living a fairy tale with no substance. It means that rather than being a crutch, you're living the most rational of lives. It means that life without Christ is the delusional life. It means that when you love Jesus, he receives it. When you obey him, you're doing right. When you take a moral or ethical stand because of Jesus, you are vindicated no matter what anyone else thinks. It means you have an anchor that is secure and that you have not put your hope in something that will prove false. It means that every moment lived for Christ's sake is lived truly and is lived rightly. And that to live Christianly has meaning. That's why the resurrection matters. It demonstrates who Jesus is. It demonstrates that Christianity is more than a matter of simple inward belief, but it's grounded in reality. It gives us hope for an eternal future, and that life here, then, has meaning. 
That's what we celebrate today, and that's why we celebrate it. Easter is the greatest day of your life because Easter is the greatest day in history. That's why we're here on this day, and that's why we live the way that we live. Amen? Amen. I'm going to continue reading from the scripture again, John chapter 20, verse 24, where now we read that Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, says John, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen.